Hello and welcome back to the Schooner Pod. I'm your host, Bobby Howard. With me today, we've got Jameson Maxwell, Ty Lee, and we are here to talk about Oklahoma's fourth loss of the season, 38-35 to at home against the Baylor Bears. Uh, second straight year losing to Baylor and Dave Aranda. And um, guys, it's starting to feel, you know, these losses are starting to feel kind of similar. And it, it, it's it's... It's the same issues just over and over again. And we've discussed it on the pod that, you know, is this something that could be fixed this season? And overwhelmingly, it appears that it's not. So, Jameson, I'm not sure where we start here. Do we start with the offense, with the defense? Like, we, we just got to start just, as a whole. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, the thing is, and I kind of been hinting at this the past couple weeks, uh, but this loss was because we seem to not be able to put all the pieces together last week i said oh you know i'm i like that defense i don't know how much it was just iowa state's offense but i i like what they showed there and we've seen in the past you know jeff levy and dylan gabriel usually have played really well at home we put up big amount of points so if we can just put that defense we saw versus iowa state together with some home offense like i felt pretty good about this game but the thing is it felt like the Kansas State game, it, really what it felt like. Um, it seems like Baylor had control for a lot of that game, and Oklahoma was just kind of scrapping. And it just seems like we just can't put the pieces together to have a complete game. Yeah. Ty, your thoughts? I really feel like this one is one that we lost. Obviously, we're going to dive into it a little bit more. But, I mean, even just looking at – at the statistics, you know, those, those turnovers really start to jump out at you because I felt like, honestly, uh, and this is a pretty, I guess we'll, we might as well get it out of the way. I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I didn't really feel this bad about this one. Honestly, like it's what I saw from the offense outside. I'm not trying to do a Dylan Gabriel bit. I'm sure one might come up later on the pod, but what it's I saw from the offense—it's one hundred percent. Yeah, but what I, what I saw from the offense was I didn't really hate any of it. I mean, it, we had three interceptions, three turnovers, which obviously I, I hate. But uh, guys were getting open. We were having big plays. We were running well. You know, I'm sure maybe there is some criticism for the play calling, and I'm sure we'll have plenty of time dedicated to to Dylan Gabriel. But even on the the turnover drives, I mean, they were good. They were good drives. We were stringing things together. So it, it comes down to, you know, what do you want to argue about the turnovers? You know, people argue that they're tips, you know, which is just bad luck three times in a row. I don't know. I went back and made sure to rewatch the replays because I watched them in person. I think they're, they're all three were bad throws and there were some other really, really bad Agreed. throws as well in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't get intercepted because there was just no one there. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly, I did not feel that bad about it. And I know that's going to be an unpopular opinion, but I, it did not feel like any of the other losses to me. I felt like we were competitive pretty much the whole time and just kind of shooting ourselves in the foot. There wasn't like a, a big thing that, I mean, the defense obviously will get to that as well, but uh, it didn't necessarily feel that bad. And I don't, if the team doesn't improve, I feel like there was improvements. If the team doesn't improve from where they are at this loss, I still think we'll be pretty fine. I mean, we might still, Oklahoma state is completely broken now. So at least we might win that. <laughs> so we'll see. Oh yeah, no, Bedlam Bedlam is in play. Um, probably going to be on like, I don't know, public access TV airing at 6 a.m. at this point. But um, no, it's uh 
that hey look that that feels winnable i think ou you know they're not this isn't a total disaster um i'm with you on that i i feel like i personally wasn't as upset and i think i think that's kind of because like what does it matter you're just it just depends on what bad bowl game we go to at, at this point. That's what OU's playing for. And, you know, at the wedding you, you, uh, you and I were at, Jameson, I feel like Boat and Blake was trying to rile us up and really laugh at us. And I'm like, hey, you can't, there's nothing going on here, man. Like, you, you can't, there's nothing you can do to hurt us at this point. Um, but in terms of how the team played, I, let's go ahead and talk about the offense a bit. It, it did feel like it was moving well. It, they were progressing. The play calling was all right. It just you can't make three and you can't make three turnovers like that in a game where you know I think OU and Baylor were pretty evenly matched. That is the difference. That is absolutely the difference um, in a game that was decided by um, you know the turnovers and not only that, but I also feel like there are a couple really uh, dumb discipline things that uh, that penalty before the uh, field goal attempt uh, that OU missed before uh, the end of the first half. That was, that was tough. There were a couple backbreaking moments um, specifically that, uh, um, you know, personal foul. I can't remember who it was where uh, uh, they just ripped a helmet off after a third down stop. That, that type of stuff is backbreaking and it's the difference between winning and losing this game, especially when, um, you know, I I don't think I don't think OU is. Yeah, I think it's even with Baylor. So um, that's the difference, and that's the type of thing OU needs to start shoring up. Here's here's the thing, and I think y'all kind of mentioned it. One, talking about just the overall feelings of this college football is, you know, there's so little that you can do in a season. Um, and then that if you screw up very, very early, then it, like your season's out the door is what I'm trying to get at. Um, Oklahoma, we have very, very high standards. So whenever we lose early, our, our mindsets completely shift. So yeah, I, these losses don't hurt as much anymore because kind of our end goal that we had envisioned with this season, it's not attainable anymore. So right now we're just trying to find just little things that we can, um, you know, hold on to. But with the turnovers and like the little things that you're talking about, Bobby, just look at the first half. Like, come on. Let's go through the play drives and you're going to be stunned if you like read into it. We ended the half 24 to 21 down, which I think is pretty good. But let's let's talk about it. Touchdown on the first drive. Second drive, we throw an interception. Third drive, touchdown. Fourth drive, interception. Fifth drive, we go um, turn it over on downs. Sixth drive, touchdown. Seventh drive interception, eighth drive missed field goal. Do you see any punts? No. All of those were turnovers, missed field goal, and touchdowns. Like, there were some good things in that first half. We should have had better opportunity to get a lead, and we just didn't. Yeah. OU only punted twice uh, in the entire game, which is pretty pretty wild. Poor Michael Turk didn't have time to go to action. Maybe that's what it was. What it was. We, we left our best player out on the bench. <laughs> but... um. Ty, your Ty, your thought. Let's, um, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. About what James so said? when we're talking about the turnovers, first off, anyone that listens to us regularly knows uh, that I have been anti Dylan Gabriel since I probably week one, at least. I probably started setting the groundwork and in, in week two, certainly. Uh, even when people were on his on his train a little bit, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, right? And I'm I'm not saying anyone should react based on on one game. 
what I will say about the Dylan Gabriel situation, because I don't think I necessarily have anything big to add that we didn't touch on, on the importance of the turnovers as they relate to the game itself and, and how the game turned out. But I, I will say I saw, obviously there's a lot of talk about Dylan Gabriel and there's a lot of people reacting uh, very emotionally, especially after the game saying that he's not good, which I don't disagree with, let me say. Uh, but I saw a lot of people arguing, especially uh, some of the more, I don't want to say calmer heads, but I, I saw a lot of the, the journalist crowd reacting. Like the OU, uh, uh, I'll say by name, like Eddie Rodosvich specifically had a tweet saying, uh, you know, people saying that, that Dylan Gabriel isn't good need to remember uh, what the performances were like without him and without getting into the big argument again about how the TCU game was before he got injured. Um I will say that in my belief, I don't feel like that was that tweet is sort of targeted at, at my opinion, but I will say that you can simultaneously hold the belief that Dylan Gabriel specifically was a single point of failure that lost us the game and also not think that we need to replace him with Bevel. Like a, he can, you be, can say, yeah, he can be yeah, bad. He can have a down game. What yeah. Is. So I, and I'm seeing a very like binary discussion in, in some of the fan bases. So I did, I don't want to touch on that because that was something that, that jumped out to me. It was I, I don't think anyone should be reacting. You know, people are saying, oh, he's our best option. I think that probably is the case. But at the same time, you know, you can't be saying, oh, hey, we can't criticize this guy because he certainly needs to be criticized. And the argument of our OU fans spoiled uh, with their quarterback situation or not, that's a whole nother, uh, a whole nother argument altogether. But I, I, he was not, I understand people make the argument, oh, all of the interceptions were tip balls, which is true, but go back and watch them. And most of them are being tipped by Baylor players that were really just dropped interceptions by a Baylor player. And there was another Baylor player there to scoop it up. Like they were not, mm -hmm. they were not good passes. You know, it's not like, Hey, yeah. the receiver just brain farts. It bounces off his face mask and somebody gets it. And then there were some other very, very questionable passes. And I will say, I people have said it before the Dylan Gabriel height thing. I sat down like low, low. I think we were in like row 10 uh, down in uh, the South end zone and looking at his height compared to the lineman from that angle, which I haven't seen a, a game. I've either seen him on TV or a little bit higher. He is. Yeah. He's, he's not able to see over the line, which is, is the cause of some of those. That's not new analysis. <laughs> but uh, I just, I just now, I was like, oh, this is actually pretty extreme. Yeah, that the short, the short ahead, quarterbacks, the short quarterbacks can do successful, but he just doesn't do well extending plays, and that's what short quarterbacks got to do. Even guys like Drew Brees, and you look, you think about him, like looking over his offensive line, legitimately like, tilting his neck back to look over. Um, he still had to extend plays. You think guys like Johnny Manziel, Baker Mayfield, shorter guys, they need to get out of the pocket and extend yeah, Kyler the play. Murray. Kyler. Dylan Gabriel does not extend any plays. He can be a disappointing and not that good of a quarterback. And we don't have to play reference game with Davis Bevel and General Booty and Nick Evers. He can be bad, but also better than the other people behind him. Yeah, it, I, I think he. I think this game in particular, he made too. He tried to force too many things, like that. That particularly that first interception. Um, I mean, you and I were, were looking at it and it's like, we're, we're, what is he even like really planning on doing it? What it was a bad throw in the first place. And it's, it, it's something that it, he improved on from the beginning, but it feels like he's gone backwards where instead of just kind of airmailing it, throwing it away, he's, uh, you know, kind of forcing it a little bit. And because yeah. of that, 
those turnovers happened. I, I well, do it's, it's, say... We don't throw anything in the intermediate. It's only short and long balls. So, like, it's there's just nothing really for him to really dissect the defense with. We're pretty one dimensional in the past. He doesn't game. have a lot of he doesn't have a lot of options. They don't give him options. Mm-hmm. No. I almost disagree. What what I was about to say is I might be completely off base on this analysis, but I think what we saw a little bit today was uh, Jamison specifically. One of his criticisms of the offense has been, I you know, his words, uh, and I'm I'm not trying to you know, but his words as I understand them were Jeff Levy has too tight of a leash on Dylan Gabriel. If we gave him a little bit more freedom, trusted him a little bit more, he could make things happen. And I feel like maybe that's what we saw a little bit in this game because he had some good moments and he I had some moments right. where I could tell that he was looking, you know, down his mm-hmm. his uh, options and stuff. But this is also, you know, just going to happen sometimes if if you trust a guy. So you have that trade off sometimes and you can also make the arguments I said before. Yes, all the interceptions were were deflected and then intercepted by someone else. I think they were all bad passes, but at the same time, you know, a bad pass being deflected and then the chance of someone being there, you know, that doesn't always happen. So there is some chance in it, but I, I think you, you have to find that balance in that trade-off. And I, even with three interceptions and uh, in this game that I think ultimately could be pointed to as the single point of failure before we get into the defense, I think I almost like this a little bit more, you know, trust him, let him make mistakes. It's fine. I'm not saying, Oh, the season's over. We should obviously tanking's not a thing. And I'm not saying, <laughs> Oh, we should just give up hope, but I, you know, trust him a little bit more. You know, we're already, we've already lost four, you know, what's, I want to say what's the worst that can happen because at this point <laughs> we know that things can always get worse, but I, I don't hate, you know, trusting him a little bit more and, and letting him make mistakes. You know, I'd rather at least see what happens. It makes for more entertaining football than having a dude on a super short leash and, and not letting him do stuff. Yeah. And Jimmy in the YouTube comments on our live stream brought up a great point. He also kind of forced it in Kansas game. He he had maybe less so because a couple of those were like fumbles and all that. But the reason why that um that what didn't hurt us as bad, why we won the game still, is because the defense was able to perform well. That was not the case this nah. time. <laughs> what? I do want to say know. I don't Kansas know how better well. than this. We let better, let's this. not use they played better, not well, better. better. <laughs> so clarify our verbiage here before we start segueing into the defense I, I do think we need to rope back to the offense and i like i like to mix in some positives or some some funny things this one is going to be a little bit more beneficial to our live viewers but as i said i was sitting down real close this is a quick we're going to do a quick break from the negatives we'll dive right back into the negatives for all you haters out there i'm the biggest ou hater uh, <laughs> so i'm excited for that but uh, we'll mix in a positive i as i said sat right down close in the south end zone on the home side, we presented Roy Williams with his College Football Hall of Fame introduction, and there were a lot of people there, a lot of people standing a mere like 15, uh, 10, 15 feet in front of me. Also right in front of us was the Baylor cheerleaders, our man, our beloved, the king, Barry Switzer, as you can see for the uh, the YouTube viewers, quick YouTube pitch, <laughs> spent about three quarters of the game just talking to all the Baylor cheerleaders. So if you were worried about it, the King has still got it. He was still down there. And I'm not talking like, oh, we got to be polite to the old man. Like like he started talking to, to one on the corner and then they were all coming over to, to hear what the King had to say. So Barry Switzer still got it. If you guys were worried about that, also uh, said hi to the Dr. Pepper Sheriff as well. So he's, he's doing well. So there's our positive break 
uh, for everyone. Uh, no free ads for Dr. Pepper, but uh, it is always nice to see the blahs at the games. Oh, so yeah. back to the negatives. We tied in a, yeah, tied yeah. in some positives. Now let's go back to Hayden. I, I will say, I will say, I think there were a couple good performances on offense though. Eric Gray, you know, his 106 yards, 23 carries, you know, uh, not his most spectacular performance, but still really good. Uh, I thought Gabriel did a pretty good job on the ground as well. Uh, his running performance, um, especially in that first drive to get that touchdown was really, mm-hmm. really nice. Um, that was a good play. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Marvin Mims, you know, uh, uh, he, had, he had himself a day, 120 yards on four receptions, uh, including that, you know, just massive bomb that we couldn't really see on uh, ESPN plus because they were zoomed in too close. You guys couldn't see that. <laughs> My no, because God, Ty, did you see all the it's so bad. stuff? It's, it was I saw, yeah, I saw some of the highlights after, and it would just be zoomed in on Gabriel, and then it zooms oh out a little bit later. God, it was I bad. It was ESPN horrible. Plus. Our favorite one was the uh, diagonal and horrible yellow first down line, because even though it was just diagonal, sometimes like <laughs> it would just sometimes just be completely like wrong. It'd be like second and four and it would be like 15 yards down the field and i was like whoa what is going on here um things were quite clueless all around and this this was not a good experience for me i bought espn plus for this month because i wanted to buy the stupid denver broncos game in london and i'm like oh might as well just watch the (laughs) ou game too god that is i am canceling that subscription so fast it is it is bad. It's we talked about, you know, fan experience, there's in-person fan experience, and then there's also the the on TV or the broadcast fan experience. I will say also, you know, not to not to get on to people, this completely came up to me, but this is on the topic of ESPN plus in fan experience. I know someone who rented one of the rental we set it up for you tailgates. And guess what those include if you pay for it? Cable. Guess what those don't include? Wi-Fi or ESPN plus. So everyone that had a rental tailgate and was not going into the game had to either have some sort of puck or stream it from their phone hotspot. And let me tell you what, it was not a popular environment in the white rental tents. I'm not trying to get on a company that does that, but there was a major someone not noticing. There was a lot of people planning on it, and that thing had cleared out uh later on in the game i know some people that that spent big money on that and then everyone ended up down there watching georgia tennessee trying to listen to it on their phones because phone service who the hell's running that everyone knew that was on espn plus that was a huge speaking obviously this person only cares about money and they don't care about ou football that is that that was a that's brutal that's brutal fumble uh, they should they should give refunds. They should give significant refunds on that. They got they better yeah. do something. That's so because I believe That's people so paid extra. I will have to ask, but I believe people you pay extra to get the cable or you the do. satellite out there. Yeah, so that that's was, like not included. People were uh, yeah. That was it oh. was a it was a tough scene down there <laughs> when I went down there and realized I was like, hey, why are you guys? Because I left a, a a quarter early and I was like, hey, down to go down to the tailgate to watch the rest just to kind of get the head start. And I was like, hey, why are why are we watching uh Georgia, Tennessee, right now. <laughs> oh no! So, That's so uh, bad. Yeah, that was a that was a rough seat. Um, I, I kinda, oh the the receivers. Um, I think the receivers had a great game. I, Mims specifically, I think he had a really good game. And this is I constantly have to bring this is my only take that I feel like is credible analysis on receivers. I talk about how in college the depth of secondaries is sometimes not all that great. 
So if you're known to be the best guy, you're going to get all the coverage and it can help the second or third receiver down the, the totem pole. And my, my take is sometimes it's better to be WR2 at the college level because you get the little bit worse defenders and you can have a better game, you know, a less challenging opponent. I think maybe I'm just confirm, confirmation bias, perhaps, but I think Jaleel Farouk specifically becoming a big threat that people are seeing, uh, receiving and rushing is sort of opening it up for Mims. Because I one of the criticisms I saw earlier in the season with Mims and Gabriel's interactions specifically was I felt like maybe it's Gabriel short leash, maybe it's it's whatever. Uh, but I felt like previously there's been a lot of stuff that's been forced to Mims and it's been sort of watering down his stats because it's not a situation where he should be throwing the ball and he is. And here, like that big touchdown and, and some of his other plays, I feel like he was benefiting from the other options around him, that tremendous depth in the receiver room being exercised. I'm not sure if you guys feel the same, but I mean, you can't, can't dispute uh, Farouk had a great game here again. Stoops had a really great game, you know, typical good Stoops game. Uh, but Mims specifically, I, it just seemed like he was more in his comfort zone, especially with that touchdown you guys missed. You know, that was right there in front of me. And just I could see the smile on his face as he came in, like running towards us, like uh, into the end zone and then doing the, the finger guns running along. Uh, he felt he felt more comfortable, you know, didn't have his shoulders down throughout the game. So I feel like he was feeling a little less pressure and, and things were starting to to develop in that receiver room. Yeah, I, I think I think that's key because I I kind of think early on we were expecting Theo East to kind of make a jump, never really did. He's definitely getting portaled, I think. And you know, it just even though we aren't seeing a ton of receivers get receptions, you know, there were um, what only only six uh, players who caught a pass on Saturday. I I feel like they're more potent. I feel like that that having those, I don't know, they're showing up a little bit more than they were to start the season. Mm -hmm. I think we need to get Braden Willis more involved. I feel like in that first drive, we were looking at him a lot more, but for the rest of the game, I really didn't see Braden Willis get as involved. I think he's one of our better receivers. He, you can make the argument that he's the second best receiver on our team ahead of Jalil Farouk. Um, it just seems like he was such a big part of that first drive, and then just things kind of dropped off. I just don't know within the scheme if they just have as many tight end play calls. It's just kind of disappointing for me because I feel like a good tight end is a, a kind of a safety blanket for a quarterback whenever they're struggling. You know, you keep you can throw it in the inside in the middle of the field. You don't have to throw it to the outside. And I feel like all like our past quarterbacks here at OU, like whenever a tight end's doing well, it's just like things seem to click a lot easier. Um, so that's kind of been, been disappointing for me, but maybe that can change. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Cause he, and I mean, he did have that one target, uh, that led to, um, to a pick. That was probably the, the one pick that was probably the less, uh, bad of the two where it kind of, I don't know, like some people online thought he might've, uh, you know, been a little bit of a PI situation, got one hand up and tapped it. But um, no, I, I agree. Willis has, has been one of our best players um, across the board and his work with the, uh, you know, the wildcat um, has been good. Would have loved to see him uh, do a little bit more of that instead of major. Uh, Agreed. No we were about. yelling about that. I, I understand having the running back back there. You're only going for a yard. Give it to Willis, right? Yeah, you would think so, right? Just have just, he's big enough. Just, Go in, fall over. <laughs> I don't know. Mm -hmm. I know it's obviously way 
way more difficult than that uh you know <laughs> but yeah, yeah we're, we're very know. simply looking at it ty you got anything else before we kind of hit defense because i think we probably uh, yeah we kind of just briefly touched on on you know the the rushing like we talked about gray had a hundred yard game Dylan Gabriel rushed for 70 yards. You know, I, I feel like I don't want to be all down on him. And this is what I was talking about early on uh, in the podcast was I, I feel like I didn't, I wasn't too upset about the game because I felt like things were working and I do, I fault Dylan Gabriel for all three interceptions. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I do acknowledge that some of that is chance, at least in my, in my opinion. And he had one of his best rushing games of his entire career. Like a lot of the stuff we were doing uh, was working and gray, you know, he had a lot of those workhorse runs uh, major also got a lot of those workhorse runs, but I uh, have to touch on rushing. I mean, we had uh, 238 yards. Uh, it looks like for the team. So, I mean, the things we were doing were, were working and, and, you know, you can make all sorts of arguments in retrospect of, you know, maybe we would have won had we rushed a little bit more, maybe we would have, we would have won had we had a bit more urgency in our last touchdown scoring drive and, <clears throat> and left a little bit more clock out there. Um, who knows, but the, I think in closing on the offense, uh, my last thought on it was the stuff we were doing was broadly working the entire time. I mean, I understand we had 35 points, but 35 points when you only punt twice, and then turn it over three times means every other time you had the ball, you know, it was working. And I didn't really, I didn't see any play calling that I had a super big issue with. Um, and again, I, I don't want to continue to, to down on, on Dylan Gabriel. It's not like, he, you know, obviously he's listening and I don't want to depress him, but uh, <laughs> Dylan Gabriel, if you're listening, please don't transfer. Oh no. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, I don't want to be too down on him because I feel like a lot of the stuff did work. So I, this one hurts, and I'm not trying to say, oh, I don't care about us losing this one. But I, I don't necessarily know if this one is indicative of of what's to come for this team. Maybe that's hope. Maybe that's a coping a little bit. But this loss did not feel like the earlier um, three losses. And I honestly feel like I this is really controversial. This is the real fringe controversial end of my take. Our performance in this loss obviously some caveats almost felt a little bit better than to me than our performance in the win against Kansas. That's very controversial, but you know, those three interceptions not gone the other way. This one could have been, could have been very different. So. Yeah. Cause I think Baylor is a better team than Kansas by, by quite a bit. Um, Rand obviously yes, still a very good far. coach. Yeah. Quite a bit. Yeah. Definitely. That a better Baylor team. Kansas game, obviously Baylor yeah. handled them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, a little bit well of a, that's uh, yeah 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 not, not our, i mean you can play the common opponent oklahoma state you know we gotta <laughs> we gotta hit on some people while we gotta kick other people while they're down too but uh yeah. Yeah. now this baylor team's pretty good so i i'm not i mean shoot they might have a chance at winning big 12 even if things break mm. the right way conference is a bit nutty you know k-state got another loss you know baylor's still sitting there with uh, baylor only has two conference losses keep in mind um so um, I don't know. I don't know. They, they they feel like a team that could get hot. I feel like they've improved a lot since the start of the season. You know when they're losing to BYU and stuff. But let's talk they about the defense. Eight TCU Texas. So we'll, oh, yeah. we'll see. Everyone, ooh, everyone that's ooh, a, everyone ooh, that's ooh, ahead of mind. well, yeah, that proves your point though, Bobby. Because everyone that's ahead of them in the conference is they've yet to play. So that does make sense, I guess. Your kicker is lining up for an onside kick. The chances of regaining possession they're slim. 
The stakes are high, and that tension is even higher. Your pulse is racing. He kicks, and you watch as the ball lands. Okay, yeah, like, make every play feel that exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new customers can make any $5 NFL bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. So check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. And to make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me. So, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet on any NFL game only at DraftKings Sportsbook using code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. But let's talk about that OU defense. Um, absolutely gashed uh, on the would be the way to describe it uh, in terms of um, the rushing defense. Uh, Squirrel Williams. I don't know if, if they're announcing him in arena or in stadium as Squirrel, but uh, no, that, that no. was his name. He ran for nearly 200 yards on us and, you know, essentially just uh, they got what they wanted. Um, Baylor did not um, really struggle to move the ball at all. Um, I don't, I don't know what to think about this and Jameson, uh, your thoughts on it. Um, And I don't know what's, what's, what's wrong with the defense. I I wanted us to stop the run because I felt like that was the way to win this game. And whenever you see kind of Reese not doing anything um, and it's on to squirrel, I mean, I felt positive, but that four-man front defense and our run-stopping game just didn't look the same as I've seen in the in the recent past. It was kind of concerning, to tell you the truth. And um, Baylor obviously just has a lot better physicality than a lot of the teams that we've played in the past. Um, but it's once you have the running game getting to the second level almost every single play everything starts to go down because the players get tired a lot faster. And essentially you're just playing on a third of your defense, not being a part of it. If all they can do is freaking bull rush and not get in the right gaps. So there's, we're playing, you know, with the hand behind our back. Yeah. The, the second level was, was not great. Um, missing, missing run fits, missing gaps. It, 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 it all just kind of fell apart, but I agree. And, um, I agree that the D line got completely outclassed. Um, I think size wise, Baylor is one of the bigger teams we've, we've played on off or on the O line. And I think that gave us a lot of troubles. I think that gave OU a lot of troubles. And um, once again, you know, they just, they, they do not play well when they can't just overwhelm an off- offensive line. Um, that's the biggest difference between uh, this game and Iowa state. Iowa state's O line is awful. So um here's yeah tell you got it here's the thing it, it was the run game that that lost us uh the game you know even down the baylor's very last drive uh if you just watched that you would see why ou lost the game you know excluding the turnovers just watch baylor's very last drive of the game uh you see everything that was wrong with uh the defense squirrel williams had an absolute crazy game they weren't announcing it uh in in the stadium they weren't saying squirrel but i had some baylor fans that were sort of like right behind me they kept yelling come on squirrel 
Uh, but they had like really weird, really weird timing with it. So for like the first half, it wasn't exactly clear if they were talking about the running back or if that was just a nickname for Baylor or something uh, like a war war Eagle or, or like a crimson tide uh, elephant, you know, situation or like war Eagle, but the, like the mascot is a tiger type situation. So I didn't know if I was just missing something and they were called the squirrels or, or something like that. But so it was not clear, but this dude squirrel had 50% of his uh, rushing yards this season. And we're in week 10 against us here. He's been playing, one of the years was a red shirt. He has been playing college football every year since 2018. He had almost 25% of his career stats in this game. And, and the infuriating thing was, I don't want to diminish his performance. Obviously, you know, he won. I think he was the, the one that really, that really beat us, but he just wasn't getting touched. You know, it wasn't like a Marshawn Lynch beast mode run. Uh, or, or like a, you know, turning it back to like a Ramondre Stevenson, you know, or, or just trucking through someone, Adrian Peterson type run. It was just like, Hey squirrel, here's the ball, go through this gap. He's not that big of a dude. He didn't necessarily seem that quick or like he had that much agility, which if you look at his stats for his career, you know, bears that out. The dudes had years where he's played in, in, uh, more than 10 games and put up less than a hundred yards on the season. He just wasn't being touched. Like no one, like yeah. it, the gap was just wide open. No one touched it. And that's on our defense. That is not freaking Narnia. God. Yeah, yeah. That is not on. And that's yeah. Cause that's when you're not getting touched and you're getting into the, the, the secondary, the deep secondary and putting up big stuff. That's not even on the, the D line anymore. I mean, and you can, you know, I don't know if it was necessarily apparent on, I don't know how the commercials were cutting um, on the, on the plus itself, but if you were paying attention, uh, we did have, I don't want to say injuries, but uh, we had sort of our, our linebackers, Ogwebu uh, in particular, uh, seemed like he was coming out a lot and then on mm -hmm. the sideline was was dealing with trainers. And I know that stuff doesn't usually get on on TV. And I know there was one where he was sort of injured and, and they paused play for him, but uh, there were several times where I was, I was starting to, to notice it and pay attention uh, when the offense was on the field, he was overworking with the, the trainers and the medical staff. And then there were several times where he was subbed out. And then immediately, instead of going and resting and getting water, he was he seemed to be dealing with something uh, persistent throughout the game. So there were some other issues beyond uh, play calling. But our, our defensive schemes and stuff, you know, they need to they need to improve. And yeah. we need some portal guys in front of the front seven, too. Like, it just ain't working. And I was telling this with Bobby, and we've said this in the past, like, we don't have any pass rush either. There, there's just none. Absolutely zilch. And it's it makes us so one-dimensional of a team that people can just scheme us out. Like you don't realize, like, think about like the NFL. Where do what players get the most money on the defense? It's the cornerback that can shut down any wide receiver. And then next one is the pass rusher. And right now, Gerald McCoy, best <laughs> OU player to ever play in the NFL. <laughs> Well, not a pass rusher, but you know, like it's just, just, it's just a bummer that both of those positions, I feel like we don't have the guy. And then whenever you don't have that, it puts so much of the weight on the shoulders of the linebackers and the linebackers can't um, fit the gaps. So we're, we don't have the skill positions that are the most like needed for a successful high end defense and the safety valve, you know, our crutch, <laughs> they break every single time we put weight on them. Yeah, it, it, it truly felt like Baylor at any point in time could just get three yards every play because, yeah. look, that's that's kind of, here's the thing. If you run if you run at three yards every play, 
you know, that's first down, especially if you're going to go for it on fourth down, which Baylor did and didn't really have a lot of issues and converting. We never, we well, can here's, never stop yeah, damn fourth that down. Is a, Nobody that can. is a really, that was one of my big talking points because here's one stat that if you hear it, it's one of just this stat alone, just this specific stat group. If you look at it, one of our best defensive performances all year. Baylor was four for 13 on third down. That is really, really good for this OU defense. But then they were three and three on fourth down. And Aranda had the the skill, and I'll say skill and will, to to call those fourth down plays uh, when they needed to happen. He had the skill to call the right play and then the will to make that call and say, hey, we're going to go for it. Uh, particularly, uh, there was one, I think they were on their own 30, sort of, when the it was a three-point game. Maybe it was a seven-point game. But um, – I got to give Aranda uh, some credit for for that because he knew that they could do it. And that that the fourth down stuff bothers me so much uh, when it's in a situation where it's not necessarily like a desperate time uh, because I, it feels like, you know, if people go for it on, on a desperate time, like the same situation where you'd be kicking onsides and stuff, everyone's going for it at that point because your back's against the wall. You have no other option. But it just it reminds me of the old sort of final days of Mike Stoops or some of the really troubled days under Grinch where there was just no respect for this OU defense. And teams knew that they had four downs against us if they got it to fourth and, and less than three. And that's what we saw here. You know, it was in their game plan. I understand analytics, you know, are changing the game some and that's becoming more common uh, across teams and and things like that. Fourth downs are more common in, in some sort of regular game time now than they have ever been, but it just, it, it hurts. Those ones hurt more than, you know, anything else to me, because it's like, it's just people just know like this defense cannot stop me. And it's cause like we've, like we've touched on constantly, it's almost a triage situation with the personnel that we have. And, and with our, even our scheme, I think is, is not that great. That is to some extent hobbled by personnel and talent, but it just seems like we're constantly playing from our back foot defensively. I think offense, there's a lot of stuff to criticize uh, talent-wise with quarterback, and there's some play-calling stuff. But I feel like we have a fairly good chance against most defenses that we we have played. You know, obviously the time we got shut out is is one thing, but defensively it seems like every game the defense is the underdogs with any team that we're playing, unless it's just a historically bad offense like Iowa State. Like if you just look at the defense-to-offense matchup, I don't think our defense is coming in as the favorite in any game on our schedule uh, all year once we got into Big 12 play. And you're seeing that, and people know that, and that just hurts as an OU fan. Maybe I'm not used to being the the fan of the the college football team where people are expecting to do well against you, and then they do. That hurts. It, it's different than an upset. If you think that you're the best, you're supposed to be the best team, and you get upset, then that's whatever. It's an upset. It's not supposed to happen. That's why there's a term for it. But when people are just like, oh, yeah, this OU defense, they suck. We have four downs against them whenever we want because we have a dude named Squirrel who's only rushed for like 100 career yards in like five years, and he's going to put up 200 yards against them because they're garbage. Like that's that just hurts. Yeah, because it's it sucks seeing a team come out on fourth down and just not really being like, oh, we're going to get them. We're going to stop them here. That was a mistake. We're going to make them feel like it was a mistake. It's just like, no, nah, they're going to get it. It's, it's not a problem. Um it's it's really kind of it is it is disheartening it really is but um we've all, we've we've known for a while a couple of weeks here that this team is not where it needs to be and it's going to take some time and it's going to take new players coming in that can fit this system and you know I, I think they've 
flux the defense where it works a little bit better with the players. But at the same time, I don't think it's the system that we need to win games um, because it's just not, or not, not to win games, but to dominate, to dominate, to play well. Um, because it, it, it just gets gashed. It, it, it just feels like, it feels like a bend don't break. And it, it gets really, really, really damn bendy. Um, but it, it breaks. It always breaks. Oh, we're breaking. We're breaking. It's, we're breaking. We're definitely we're breaking. breaking. <laughs> and I think I think that the biggest conversation that we've been having this whole season, it's on all the message boards, it's on all Twitter. Like I see this everywhere where there's any kind of OU content. People are talking about like, you know, is it the coaching or is it the players? You know, at this point, I think that we can't even make the decision and we can just have to punt that conversation to next year. Really? Because I, I can't differentiate it. I see, like, I'm reading, like, the comment boards on TFB, and I'm seeing, like, pictures people are posting where, you know, Danny Stutzman and is legitimately right next to, uh, <clears throat> um, God, what, bless, Jaron Kanick. Yeah. Just going down the wrong gap over and over. Like, um, this is something that the coaching staff is not putting into play. Like, that's just Danny doing the wrong thing. So, once we get, you know, another year under their belt – um, and they continue to do it wrong. I think that's a player thing because they've got to be in the right spots. You know, Brent Venables is not calling up plays where there's two linebackers going down the a gap. Yeah, yeah. no, no, no. Because it, I, I think I, I know that exact clip you're talking about. I'm pretty sure Keegan Renault uh posted it and it, it was on the goal it, line, it, like the one yard yeah, line. It's embarrassing, it led, absolutely embarrassing. It, feel. Yeah, squirrel just walks in. Because it's mm-hmm. a, it's a poor read. It's it's a football IQ issue. Um, at that point, it's not. It, it's it's very hard to make those decisions in game and have your offense or defense be based on that. And then they're also not good at making them because you 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 have to make the right reads or else it completely blows up. Here's the thing, and it's I don't think it's a perfect analogy, but I think it is good enough you know we're fitting the the triangle peg into the square hole here so we can if if you guys went to kindergarten or ou because this is something ou's higher level courses also are fitting peg into hole uh, <laughs> oh, God. but um you can fit the the triangle peg into the square hole in this analogy here and it's a rough one but i think it applies i think it's not necessarily as a parent and it's because it's a less apparent position because there's more than one uh, but I think if you look at the Dylan Gabriel and if you if you hold the belief, oh, Dylan Gabriel is bad, shouldn't be the starter at OU that I hold, the the catch-22 is we currently don't have anyone better. It only gets worse from here. And I think that that situation, talent-wise, on the depth chart is not unique to the quarterback position. I think on the offense, that's unique to the quarterback position. But I think on the defensive side, it's a little harder to see. It's a little less uh emblematic emblematic is probably not the right word to use there but uh it's, it's harder to see because there's multiple people in each position but i i think it, i at this point i it's well it's a, you're in a bad situation either way right if you're like do we blame the coaches or the players uh i i'm of the belief that hopefully it's the players because the players are constantly rotating coaches uh, rotate a little bit less uh but i think Right now, it is the players. I, I think defensively, especially, it's it's the players to some extent. And I think that Dylan Gabriel situation of the talent is not good, but it's the best we have. That triage situation very much applies to a lot of the defense. And that's one of the reasons we brought Venables in, 
was because he was a defensive guy. That was something that was a hot topic to a lot of people. And a lot of people felt like offenses specifically, you know, we had Lincoln Riley, you can make whatever arguments you want about, about Lincoln Riley and his offensive mind. But what we've seen recently in recent history in college football is that there is a, a ton of talent when it comes to offensive coordinators and being able to, to make points happen and, and run novel offenses. And I think reading into what I've I've heard a little bit about the head coaching decision, obviously Venables was going to be the favorite, but I think people were of the mind that a defensive-minded head coach, one that could recruit those hard-nosed, big D linemen and linebackers particularly that OU hasn't been known for in recent memory, was going to be the deciding factor. Because it, it seemed to me like people felt like, even if you only get no C for two or three years, there's a whole lot of OCs out there that can make talent and, and make points happen on the board, but we need a defensive-minded coach that's going to be able to recruit and build that system like Georgia has done, like Clemson did in the past, like Bama has done, like some of these more successful systems. And I, I hold out the belief I'm still fully on the Venables train. I, I don't think, you know, Ted Roof, that's a whole other uh, that's a whole nother thing right there. But I, I'm wholly on the Venables train still, and I think defensively, I don't want to blame the players, but I'm not blaming the coaches, if that makes sense. Let's talk about Ted Roof. What do you think is going to happen with him? I mean, I told you I think he's just a scapegoat. I really don't think he really has too much say in this defense at all. But I'm not. I feel there is definitely more likelihood that he gets sacked in the offseason. I think he was hired yeah. as a scapegoat. I think he's yeah. the Bishop Sycamore of coaching. Look at his record. <laughs> he just goes, he goes places for like a year or two and then gets fired. But he keeps like, it's like a Lane Kiffin, like failing upwards situation. I think you can hire him to blame him for stuff. I think he's like, I think there's a movie based around a principle like that. Like you can hire someone and beat him up in front of your girlfriend or something like that <laughs> to make you seem tougher. That's who Ted, that's his niche in the field. He's the Bishop Sycamore. He, he's like that one guy in Breaking Bad who will uh, intentionally go to jail for you you know that's it that's exactly the analogy i was thinking of there he we was go, hired yeah. in he was hired in as the better call saul like fall guy <laughs> to, uh, to go to jail. fake God. walter great great value walter white jimmy in and out i think was his name that's what it is yeah. that's exactly yeah. what it was <laughs> yeah he just shows up and he, he takes the hit and there you go i i don't know yeah i i certainly think you could be doing more uh, more with that. He doesn't. Position, he doesn't know? have a say. He doesn't, he do, doesn't anything. do anything. He's just there. Like it's all Brent Venables. So it's like, why not just let the public be happy if we sack our defensive coordinator, get someone else in, and who knows, maybe bring someone in who isn't just a like all ideas are the same as Brent Venables. Get a little bit of a different say, and even if he does, this new de- defensive coordinator doesn't have any power. It would be just nice to have a different perspective in the coach's room. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of just kind of a yes guy, because what, what, what he essentially is, is he's a, he is a defensive analyst that is legally allowed to work with the players is essentially what he is because, you know, the defensive analysts, they can't actually talk to the players. They can just kind of look and observe. Um, and that's what he's doing. He's doing the exact same thing he did at Clemson when he was a defensive analyst and couldn't talk to players. So, um, so you guys think know. it's like, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I I don't see Venables talking into his headset and stuff that much. I, I don't, he, I don't necessarily buy the belief that Venables is calling all the defensive plays because it just, he doesn't seem to be doing enough to do that. Maybe that is the, the situation, but I, I guess I could get on board with, 
we need someone to uh, to tell the dictator that the rocket does not have to be pointy. Uh, <laughs> He's another that's movie an, reference. That's 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 a, that's a, that's another thing that I've been seeing a lot on boards and Twitter and stuff. It's like, what is really the vibe with Venables? Like, is we seem like he's this program guy who's fiery and people get behind, but. I don't see like whenever they cut to him on the on the sidelines, and I've seen other people say this: Is he really that fiery guy? Like he's just—it seems like he's just kind of just locked into the game. His press conferences, and um, I one like a lot of people on the boards are saying like, "Man, this guy just does not shut up." Like, what are we getting from this? Like, it, this is kind of like I I don't know if he's kind of gotten settled in to being the head honcho in this position. It seems like he's still trying to figure out what exactly do I need to do as a head coach? What figurehead to the public and to my locker room do I need to show to get everybody in the right mood? Because this lecturer that's just rambling, answering all the questions, spending hours in press conference, and you know, but being like non-demonstrative on the sideline ain't it. It's it's like he's trying to be someone he's not. It's like, it's it's like he's trying to host a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh god you know it's and i i i still believe in brent i'm still all in on. i do too i, think, I do too yeah. even what i said after that but yeah and I'll, I'll say this like looking back at his time as a use defensive coordinator there was a drop-off because the recruiting wasn't there and that was a program-wide issue that wasn't quite a him issue and once he got to clemson and got his guys again the defenses were good again so I, I will say, I think overall, some of it is, yeah, he, he is really a good coach, but only when you have this, this, and this, you know, he, are you a good driver if you could only drive well in a Corvette? Like if, if you give someone a Honda pilot, can't, if they can't, just can't drive, is it the pilot's fault or is, is this it an F1 the reference? driver's fault? It's a, it's this, is, this is a Bobby. This is a Bobby uh, reference. Maybe this a is a Honda engine. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I went a little bit. I went. Yeah, I went a little bit. Uh, I, I guess like Brent there. I just went on about something, but you know, maybe it's a learning curve. I'm. I, I, I see a lot of people are chat tra- tra- in our chat are saying he looks like he's bitten off more than he can chew, and maybe that, maybe that's true. But maybe this was a lot more of an issue than we might have thought. Like this might have been a bigger deal. I. Uh, yeah. So I was going to say, I, I have three points. I, my first one is I'm of the belief that being a head coach is very different than being a coordinator uh, in a lot of situations. And I think that Venables sort of holds that belief as well. And I think that is affecting people's expectations because I think people, OU fans, especially if they're used to really seeing him, they've been watching OU for a while in his days under stoops where he was very fired up. He was very animated. He was very in the players faces and stuff. And I almost like his transition because I think when you become a head coach, you don't want to be the good cop. You don't want to be the nice guy that people take advantage of, you know, but just from what I've been taught traditionally and and sort of leadership stuff is, is the most senior leader should not be the one that's having to go over and, and, and make those corrections. You know, obviously when things are really going wrong, uh, then you need your, your head coach to be fired up, which I think we've seen, but I think people are sort of expecting to see the same Brent Venables that they saw as a defensive coordinator. And I personally don't think that I would feel worse if I saw that. Like I would like the head coach to be a little more level-headed and locked into the strategic level of the game instead of down in the minutia of, 
of getting upset about individual players, you know, dealing with the the refs obviously is a head coach specific thing and stuff. But I, I sort of like the tamer uh, Brent Venables as a, as a head coach. There also is a learning curve. You know, it's a, it's even if there is, I, I, I kind of buy into the fact maybe he's maybe not fully prepared to be a, a head coach yet. That's fine. It's, you know, there is a learning curve. That's not necessarily a problem. We, everyone understands it with players. If you have a freshman quarterback come in and he doesn't win the Heisman his freshman year, you know, no one is, is super upset. They expect that. I, I feel like with coaches, sometimes people expect, you know, instantaneous stuff. You have the famous Nick Saban went what six and nine, his first year at Bama, but that was not his first year as a head coach. You know, he had a lot of head God, coaching like 15 games. Prior to that, yeah. Well, I don't remember. Oh. Maybe it was six oh, and six. Oh, I don't. I don't know. It's, it's he won like six things. It's like a, a famous like it always comes up on message boards with people trying yeah. to justify their. Bad lost to ULM that year. Yeah, but I, <laughs> but I there is a learning curve to that. Like you expect him to develop and, and get better. You know, Lincoln Riley was not the same coach uh, when he got hired as he was now. So it's his first year as a head coach. I don't necessarily know if it's that big of a problem. If it persists, like we talked about with the players, then yeah, you start to get worried. But I'm not too worried this season, especially with the personal issues that we've had. And then I think the third point that I have is the stuff that wins a game as a head coach, especially if he's not one that's directly involved in, in play calling, obviously we can argue that on the defense or not, but it's a lot of it is a performance. You know, it's a, people will get upset if he's over their level and you're super upset about, we lost the game and he doesn't seem that upset. And then you're saying, you know, it's like a relationship argument thing. You know, it's like, why aren't you upset? Like I'm upset. You are, don't seem that animated and upset. So you must not care. Uh, and, and I think some of it is an act and I think some of it is a, a performing art that maybe he's going to learn a little bit more or, or maybe not be, but I, I think that, you know, your emotions are how animated you are or how well you conduct a, a press conference, maybe not as, is, uh, indicative of, of how good you are as a head coach. Cause I think the stuff that wins the game as the head coach is being on the recruiting trail, coming up with, with good hires, coming up with schemes. It's all the stuff that you don't see and never see because it's not open to the public. Uh, Cause when you're recruiting, you're committing violations and, and crimes <laughs> uh, that you don't want exposed to the public, but then you're not showing the public how you're developing your playbook. You're not showing the public how you're, what you're seeing in the film room and stuff. And I think that yeah. is the stuff that really matters. So I don't, it, you know, there's a lots of great dudes that don't do great uh, press conferences. You know, the F1 reference, <laughs> the current mm -hmm. world champion uh, two years in a row now is boycotting press conferences with certain media people altogether uh, because he's maybe being a bit childish He's still the best one to do it currently. So, um, yeah, I, I understand those criticisms, but I think that I'm not saying I'm more level-headed than anyone else, but I, I have a different take on it, certainly. I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, because yeah, you you do have to have a different tenor as head coach. And I, I think you are right of it does look like, oh, they don't care. If you're not mad, you don't care. But like at the same time, you have to be level-headed. You have to operate everything. Um, but I don't think specifically there's anything that I can see head coaching wise that is like, that's the primary issue. I think there are laundry lists, uh, blah, a laundry list of issues with OU. But for me, it's it's not like this is a Brent issue, like uh, specifically. Um, 
obviously unfortunate that we've lost that we lost this game but mm-hmm. I-, I think you could point to other things uh specifically the type of player we have right now just doesn't work for defense uh till gabriel made mistakes there you go that's the end um but i don't i don't think it's anything specifically brent did wrong i think mm-hmm. it just it, 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 it's gonna take some time and he said that from the get-go this is this is team 128 it's gonna take a couple years Hedge. um it was, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely a hedge, but it's the truth, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think last kind of overweening thing for me, unless you all have anything else before we kind of quickly talk about what we want to see from this West Virginia game this weekend, is this loss, you know, it sucks losing as Oklahoma fans. We hate it, and especially at home, it just does not feel right. But there's really nothing that's changed in what we're talking about from the past episodes when we were winning. My mindset of this team and what I think of them is probably the exact same thing. It just kind of reinforced it even more in this game. And the loss to Baylor, it sucks. I understand we're the favorite, but I see it. The game just didn't go our way. Yeah. No, it just didn't work. And I will say, I think they're getting better. I think uh, this team loses to Baylor by a lot more uh, a couple weeks ago. So, I don't know. Let's move on to West Virginia, though. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Ty. No, I was going to say it was a it, it didn't feel that bad. I understand people that are mad. Uh, I personally was was not that upset, and it was a it was a great atmosphere to go to the game. You know, unless you paid a bunch for a tailgate and then got cheated out of it. But I, I know I personally I hung out. Uh, one of the people I hung out with before the game was a USC fan uh, who was very impressed with OU and and uh, felt sorry. He even took a picture with Boomer and Sooner and uh, told them sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, no, he's doing this. Uh, he's doing the sports nice yeah, thing that we hate. Yeah, I converted some people to uh to OU fandom, and it was a it was a good showing of of the university, and it was a good game. So hopefully, no one is is too heartbroken over it. I don't want to be the oh the season's already down the drain. It is, but Jameson will roast me if I say that on the podcast. But uh, it hey. wasn't that bad. And, and one more have... win for a bowl, baby. Yeah, the march we to the guaranteed rate bowl it continues. Ty. Yeah. Currently, well, it's that's a good like, segue. Yeah, currently, I'm looking at bowl project projections because that's always fun. Uh, currently slated to be playing Iowa in the guaranteed rate bowl at a oh. baseball stadium in Arizona. Oh, I love so. that because I was just different colored Iowa State, and we know we can beat that one. So. Oh my god, I, I, I was hey. famously their head coach earlier this year when asked, What stat do you think is the most irrelevant to college football? Their head coach with a straight face said, Offensive yardage. So, which oh maybe he was right because we had like a hundred more yards than Baylor. It's still lost. So I don't That's know. Bad. Maybe old friends was was right, but yeah, to uh, West Virginia. Another bad option would be first responder bowl in Dallas uh, at Gerald Ford Stadium against UNLV. So, oh, well, I mean, I I would I would enjoy that one a lot more. Yeah, yeah, I would I would like that one more. It would be kind of I'm sure Blake would be like, oh, rebels, let's go. <laughs> so it could be kind of fun, but. Anyways, let's move on to West Virginia. Uh, the Mountaineers. N- now, look, if we want to talk about a team having a bad year, West Virginia has been brutal. Um, hey, they beat the Neil Baylor. Brown experience just not working out. They, they, they did beat Baylor somehow. Uh, three three and six. Um, they're, they're currently on a three-game skid. Uh, only one Big 12 win, which was Baylor. Um, but, um, yeah, Jameson. West Virginia. Uh, mentioned in the comments earlier, shout out to 1982. Um, 
never beat o- has not beaten Oklahoma in conference play. Do you, are you worried about that changing um, this weekend in Morgantown? You know, every time you play in Morgantown, you get a little bit worried, even though what you've seen from West Virginia as of recently isn't as concerning, especially, you know, 31 to 14 loss with Iowa State. That That is not a pretty one. Uh, not pretty at all. And then the 48 to 10 with Texas Tech, they're going the wrong direction right now after that momentous win. Um, versus Baylor but this is going to be interesting for OU it's going to be a completely different game in my opinion than what we're seeing that we just saw versus Baylor obviously we're not playing in our home comfort zone we're playing away and we're gonna have to go against more of a you know high-end passing offense that will put our cornerbacks and our safeties to the test uh, you know, people kind of make fun of West Virginia, but I think they got some legitimate players at the wide receiver position that could give us some problems. I think Sam James is good. I really like what Bryce Ford Wheaton can, can do. Um, I mean, I understand that their offense has been a little bit anemic, but they have some tools. If they could put it together, it could still create some problems for our guys on the outside. Yeah, I feel like I've seen a lot of West Virginia this year just because they've been playing on weekdays a lot. And you're right, they're not they're not. They're not lame ducks, you know. Um, Bryce Ford Wheaton, like you said, is a dangerous, dangerous option. And um, yeah, I, I will say one thing that is kind of nice, they don't really have a great running back situation going. Uh, currently, their their leading rusher is a tight end. So there's that. Um, so that's, that's a plus, I would say. But, um, you know, it's not like we've been really great, uh, a really great passing defense. And, you know, West Virginia is better in Morgantown. Uh, they have a little bit of life there. I think this is the first time we played them at noon there. Uh, every time we play West Virginia, it's always like a freaking night game. So that's that's a plus. But I don't know. I, I think the Mountaineers, um, I mean, look, with this OU team, you, I, I think they have a chance to beat every single team on the le- uh, remaining on their schedule, but, but they also have the chance to lose. Like we saw last week. I think, I think we, we see a lot of these, you know, 38, 35 type of performances the rest of the way. And whether we, whether Oklahoma wins or not, it's pretty much a coin flip. Ty. I expect this one broadly to be similar to the, to the Kansas game. Um, that's it, what, what we saw from Kansas against OU was not necessarily what we saw from them all year, but I, I think this one is is going to play out pretty similarly. Uh, unfortunately, uh, JT Daniels, arguably the quarterback that we should have gotten, uh, whether he's he's good or not. I mean, he's at West Virginia, so you know, it put Dylan Gabriel on this West Virginia team and see what their record is. Uh, but it, yeah, the West Virginia the running thing worries me. Like you said, their leading rusher is is their tight ends. But if you had looked at last week and, and someone had come back from the future and said, Hey, Baylor's leading rusher is going to be squirrel Williams. And you look at squirrels career stats and see that he has less than 400 yards in four years. You'd be like, Oh my goodness, finally it's clicked. We're going to run him off the field. So uh, who knows what's going to happen there, but I, I feel good about it. Um, broadly. I think he, I really, I honestly, I think the last time we played them, I think our freshman year was a noon game in, in Morgantown or it may have been a two that o'clock. Was, I believe it was during the day. 2014. It, it started kind of early. Cause I remember that was the day that was like the day P Ryan really emerged. He like, maybe it was a two 30 then. Or a it, I think 
It feels like a two thirty or two because okay. I I remember that one. I remember that one. It was earlier in the season. I know that. So yeah, if it oh. got dark near the end, then it would have been. Oh, but Donaldson, yeah, it just got announced. I think Donaldson's missing. Well, no, he missed. The yeah, I was about that's to say old. no. He's that's been, old. I was, that's I, old. I've been I've been waiting to interject into that. Uh, <laughs> CJ CJ Donaldson's out for the year. He's not playing anymore. He's kind of a gadget oh. guy. Kind of they kind of change a pace. He's no longer playing, so that's why he didn't play last week. Oh. He's a he was a he was a good tool for them. Just kind of like sometimes they play him at the running back position, just kind of hand it off, and um, it seems like he'd always get the big plays versus the running back. So that's I, I definitely a ESPN, big hit to there. I took the ESPN sheep feed there. My bad. Oh, just eat, eating the yeah. I guess you weren't paying as attention as close to those West Virginia games. You were looking more at the Pittsburgh and Virginia Tech side, weren't you? I was I was not keyed in on the West Virginia Iowa State game this weekend. I apologize. I no, ESPN. Yeah. <laughs> ESPN constantly does that though, because they know they can get clicks from people that don't follow teams. So they'll list a guy. You know, they'll be like, "So and so is out, and he's been all he's been out all season." But they'll write a new article every week, knowing that the opposing team's players will stumble into their watch an ad trap uh, with headlines. So I don't necessarily. I've fallen for that one before as well, Bobby. Um, Another thing with West Virginia, though, they hung in there with Baylor, which arguably we also did. I mean, we lost by three. It was really – it should have been by ten. But they hung in there with TCU as well. So that one is is a bit alarming. And then even in their losses, they performed well in Morgantown. Morgantown, tougher mm-hmm. place to play than LSU, I will say. Uh, oh, man, yeah, that wow. take is going to have to get defended um, whenever we get Here's on the, the pod thing, on Wednesday. Right? How many – you guys have both been to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, correct? And not to a game, but in passing. I, yeah. I, went, I passed through and saw the Tiger one time. Exactly. Okay. I've been there multiple times as well, not for a game. But just the fact that you can go there, it's accessible, already makes it a little bit easier. You know, no one is – I don't know a single person. I know a guy that literally went to West Virginia for a year. He's never even been to campus. Uh, which is pretty common for for West Virginia students, actually. Not even I'm not even talking to COVID year. I'm just talking enroll and stay in Pittsburgh and party. That's that's most of their student body. But um, yeah. So uh, jokes aside, it it is a it is a, a challenging. You know, it's almost a not a bowl like atmosphere, but it, it certainly is a a big ordeal to get out there and, and play. So that that certainly mm-hmm. is a factor uh, that we, I guess we've already touched on it. You know, you're always a little scared in West Virginia. I don't necessarily know if it's a West Virginia thing or a, an atmosphere thing. Certainly there's a little bit less, uh, you know, scariness when you're playing at, at noon somewhere, but the, the travel and the whole ordeal of it is, uh, is definitely a, a factor. I, I yeah. think that's a good transition to my biggest key to this game. And it's really easy to be lackadaisical coming off of a loss at home, disappointing, you know, now OU being five and four, which is just gross to say out loud. And then you go through this whole road trip where you have to kind of do a couple of extra things to get to Morgantown and the way West Virginia wins games or stays close in games that we've seen this season is big place. Um, like I said, through their wide receivers, uh, you know, they throw deep balls, get touchdowns in the corner of end zones, catch teams whenever they're asleep. So if we come out in in the first quarter and we're just kind of sluggish and we're not really, you know, doing what we need to do as a football team to get ready for a football game, I could see a couple of big plays getting Oklahoma, um, you know, down early. Um, we need to be on our game. Hopefully that the coaches, the coaching staff will get them ready to go. 
Um, but I, from what I've seen so far, a team that doesn't have a good rushing attack from the running back game is probably the best thing that we can do, um, the best opponent that we can have for OU. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's the biggest issue that we've run into. So, um, yeah, let's see how it goes. Uh, OU is currently opened at a seven and a half point favorite, uh, but we will make that pick on the weekend spread later. So stay tuned for that. But um, yeah, I don't really have a lot to say about West Virginia. I don't think they're that great. I think Neil Brown is on the chopping block. I'm surprised he hasn't been fired yet. I've been saying um, that for like a month and a half. Is I have. <laughs> I, 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 my thing was, my thought process was West Virginia is going to have a bad start. They're going to fire him, try to get someone in there as soon as they can. And they just haven't. So uh, I don't know. But I, I think he's all but doomed at this point. So mm-hmm. it's going to be, it's going to be yeah. the off season at this point. Yeah, it's just not working at all. So, Ty, final thoughts on West Virginia before yeah, we move I think on? I got one final or two final thoughts. They're sort of one piece. I think this will be a a test or a showing of Venables. Uh, we saw a very, very poor showing in our first neutral site game, our first sort of bowl atmosphere uh, with a Venables team. I think this one is also sort of indicative. Like Jamison said, it's very easy, you know, coming off a loss be hanging your head down. Uh, it's a team that we're supposed to beat. So maybe you can feel like you can just flow through like it's a walkthrough and, and walk to a win and, and mope around. That is certainly not the case against this West Virginia team, especially with the the threats that they present to us. So I think that this one, it'll be hard to say, you know, uh, watching it win or lose what, what you can pin it on. But I think this one will be a test of Venable's head coaching ability uh, down the road is can he get his guys invested in stuff still with the way this season has gone with a big travel and, and with stuff like that. And then the final one, a bit more of analysis, they will be passing a lot more. We kind of, we kind of knew that, but they are um, a pretty even split. The thing about their rushing stats is it's very, very diluted. I, I looked at it. They've rushed 317 times this year, 340 pass attempts. So for comparison, these numbers actually surprised me. OU we've rushed 402 times this season uh some of that skewed by the the gabriel injury we've only attempted 273 passes so a big we're big run heavy for whatever reason but um this west virginia team is certainly going to be throwing a lot a lot more so very much on our secondary yeah absolutely big big game here big bounce back opportunity well for a bowl berth this is what we need (laughs) just one more boys (laughs) Saturday morning, Fox Sports One. Then we can coast. The guaranteed rate field bowl is all on the line or whatever. See, we can make the the argument. Yeah, once we make a bowl, we can make the argument for all the rest of the losses in the season that our players were just preparing for the draft or for next season. They had opted (laughs) out. They'd mentally opted out. Physically, they're still there, but we have opted out for next year. They're mentally preparing to play Missouri in the Liberty Bowl. So we can do the old, the old uh, Bama excuse of our guys just didn't want to be there. The game didn't we, matter. Yeah, the game didn't matter. So <laughs> saving that one for down the road. That's funny. That's funny. Well, folks, that's been this episode of the Schooner Pod. Thank you all so much for listening, either live on our YouTube channel or uh, afterwards on your favorite podcasting app. So, um, Always, always appreciate y'all's patronage of the podcast. So, um, yeah, win or lose, we keep marching on no matter what playoff appearance or a Liberty Bowl bid. 
it doesn't matter. We're still happy Bobby to be here. Said the P word again. He wants to pee. I do not. I, I very much do not want the pee. Is I it very much? It do. could be possible. Uh. I mean, with if the <laughs> if the committee can't put Bama in, they're not going to know what to do with themselves. TCU could do whatever they want to. They're not getting in. So, uh, if, you know, <laughs> depending on how the Big Ten pans out, I guess we could see a the playoff committee reverting to some sort of eye test and just having OU Georgia or again in, in Tennessee or something like that. Yeah, no, I, I could see him just freaking out and be like, uh, uh, Oklahoma's usually here. Put them in, put them in. We're fine. We're fine. But all right. Well, that's all we got for today. We'll see y'all later down the line this week for the weekend spread where we make some picks. I'm very excited about this because it's been, I don't know. It's, it's, it's heating up. It's getting good. Um, so make sure to tune into that for our gambling picks, uh, for college football. So, all right, I've done enough rambling. This has been the scooter pod. We will see y'all later. Have a good one, everyone. And boomer sooner.